Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Michael Singleton Show. Boy, do we not have a lot of news to talk about today. Of course, the show, we're going to talk about the indictment of the former president, who also happens to be the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. He may indeed win that nomination and ultimately have a rematch with President Joe Biden. I want to thank my team here, Matt in the control room, Audra, who will be answering your phone calls. And my guest today is not... Uh, a voice that you haven't heard before. He's familiar to the show, Curtis Valentine with Progressive Policy Institute and University of Maryland. He is also uh, a Morehouse man, my proud Morehouse brother. Curtis, thanks for joining me today to unpack this crazy news. No, thank you for having me, man. It is a big day in news and American politics. I'm glad to be part of the conversation. Dude, I, you know, look, I want to go over a couple of things. I want to set the stage here, Curtis, and then I want to get your immediate reactions. So here's some key points uh, for those of you who are listening. Maybe you follow this. Maybe you have not been following this, which I would find hard to believe because it has been all over the place. Local news, national news, every uh, media news outlet digitally you can think of. So a couple points here. So the criminal indictment against a former president over his handling of classified government records was unsealed Friday, yesterday, revealing 37 counts. Among other allegations, the indictment states that the former president showed classified documents to other people in the summer of 2021 after leaving office in January of that year. The indictment also goes on uh, to state that the former president showed these documents to former staffers, and visitors who did not have classified or a top secret or even a secret clearance. For those of you who are wondering, as a former political appointee, I can assure you for those types of documents, you really need to have a top secret clearance. The indictment was made public a day after grand jury charged Trump in the case in the U.S. District Court in Miami. Two of his lawyers resigned from representing the former president in the classified documents case and in another pending federal criminal investigation into his efforts to overturn uh, his loss in the 2020 presidential election. And that's the case out of Fulton County, uh, Georgia, which is in Atlanta. Uh, So if you got any thoughts on this, what do you think? Do you think this is good? Do you think this should have waited until after uh, the electoral process was decided? Do you think voters should ultimately decide who should lead the country? Curtis, what are your thoughts on this historic moment, Donald Trump is the first a former president of the United States to ever be federally indicted. Well, I imagine I'm, I'm like a lot of Americans and being of, of two minds. And so uh, while we're not surprised that the former president has done something um, worthy of indictment or or criminal, because, as you mentioned before, there's investigations, ongoing investigations in Georgia about um, the uh, election malfeasance and intimidation. Um, he's already uh, has an indictment in New York um, on charges of hush money. Um, and so this is not new as, as relates to the actions of the president. I think th- there could be some surprise in that um, there is a criminal indictment, particularly as it relates to uh, these uh, records and handling and then the um, withholding and then the cover-up. Uh, and so there is obviously, I think, um, again, folks saying, well, this is more of the same, uh, but I also imagine there's some skepticism that, yeah, even though this has happened, um, nothing will come of it. You know, he'll be found innocent and then he'll want to be potentially a presidential candidate. And so I think the justice system, while also bringing these cases, also has to reassure um, the American people that those who do wrongdoing, no matter who you are, are are brought to justice. And so I I think the 
um, the burden is now on the government to uh, follow through on what they've seen. Because I think if not, um, you'll have Americans say um, it's just more of the same. You know, that's that's an interesting point that you raise in regarding in regards to the equity of justice and how it's distributed in our country. But, Curtis, let me pose this different scenario or thought process. And I want to play a little devil's advocate here. Some Americans, some voters have argued, is it proper for the Justice Department to, although the current president says they have complete autonomy, which, uh, yes, nay, I mean, I can get into that, but I don't want to as a former presidential appointee. But for the case of this argument, some folks have stated the current president who oversees the Justice Department that is now indicting the man who's a leading candidate for the opposite party who may indeed be the person he faces in 2024, November of 2024. This just seems of some level of political malfeasance. It seems, as some have stated, some form of election, an electioneering, if you will, to benefit Joe Biden and Democrats overall. What do you think the government needs to do And I'm not talking about Trump supporters. Those individuals are going to support the former president. But I'm talking about maybe some moderate-leaning Republicans, or maybe even some swing voters. And I've seen some reporting on this over over the past 48 hours of some people saying, you know, I get it, but man, this just does not look good with the current president having a Justice Department attempt to prosecute the guy who is likely his opponent – and the presidential race. What does the government have to do, in your opinion, to to ease those concerns? Because I, I do think that they're somewhat legitimate. Well, I mean, as, as I think that I think the government's hands are tied. I mean, you you have wrongdoing, you have wrongdoing at the highest level um, as it relates to national security. And you also have allegedly, um, by the way, let's let's allegedly uh, because everyone uh, has uh, a allegations um and 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 you, and you have a defendant who um is in many ways an expert uh at painting the government um in in a, in a light that causes you know doubt on the actions of the very government that he led and is you know um you know in uh, contention for leading again and so there is no uh right answer for the government the gov- if the government did not bring these charges there would be, again, a tremendous backlash on the government and further doubt in the justice system. You have institutionally a separation between um, the Justice Department and the president. At least that's you know in the um, uh, sort of institutional. That, that's that's that, what they say, but that, that's, that's not. What they, that's, that's what not they say. True. <laughs> and, 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 and so whether whether President Biden um, has been, you know, has directed the department to do this or whether, you know, the investigation, there are investigations in the past that I think many people, even in the White House, thought the Justice Department should put forward and maybe did not. And so, I mean, I, I think, you you know, other folks who serve within the in White House and other departments will call in and, and just sort of highlight those. But in the end, I think, you know, in order to really. Um, bring back a, a level of of trust in government from a, a vast majority of Americans who over the last previous four years had lost trust in government institutions to say uh, there's alleged um, wrongdoing. It's being investigated. Uh, he will be um, availed of all the rights, presumption of innocence um, of the justice department, of justice system it, with a jury of his peers. And um, in this case, potentially, with a judge who was appointed by him in this, you know, I think this. Yeah, yeah and, and, and that's. And I'm so glad you you brought that up because I was going to get into that. So Curtis just mentioned uh, Judge Aileen Cannon, um, who was actually appointed by Trump. Now she didn't take her. She she wasn't sworn in until after he left office. Uh, but he appointed her. She was ultimately confirmed uh, by the United States Senate. And I want to, Curtis, I want to put this into perspective here. I'm going to read this uh, quote, and I like to cite our our sources here. So this is coming from a New York Times uh, piece here written by Charlie Savage. I know Charlie, he and I have done a lot of MSNBC together in the past. Really, really good guy, talented reporter. So I trust uh, his reporting. With that said, in in the article that that he wrote that was published yesterday, 
Quote, the unsealed indictment offered a strong factual presentation, said Paul Rosenwig. Paul is a former Bush administration official and federal prosecutor who worked on the independent counsel investigation into former President Bill Clinton. Paul went on to say in his interview, if this were a normal person and a normal case, you'd be talking to your client about pleading guilty. So I think the canon draw is actually a serious blow to the prosecution. Now, again, canon is the judge, Judge Aileen Cannon, who was appointed by former President Donald Trump. A lot of individuals have issues with Judge Cannon because they stated in the previous case uh, pertaining to this document's case, she has shown significant favorability to the former president. Now, she didn't ask for this case. Uh, judges are determined at random. But, Curtis, I would say, I don't know where this is going to ultimately go, but that is a good thing for the former president to have a judge who is somewhat favorable to him. Now, clearly, the judge is going to have to operate within the confines of the law. Uh, precedent matters. Uh, but but I do think that this is a good thing if you're looking at it from Trump's perspective. You're going to have a judge who may indeed favor more of the defense than the prosecution. And for people who are listening to the show, that is not a normal. You do have judges who may favor the prosecution more. You have judges who favor the defense more. This is sort of a known phenomenon. Now, some people don't like it, depending on where they may fall on a given issue or a given case. Uh, but this is not an unusual thing. Curtis, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a lot to unpack with this judge, with her most recent um, rulings and the overturning of recent rulings as it relates mm -hmm. to the special match. And so there's been some, her competency um, and her judgment has called into question because my understanding is nearly all of the decisions she made in the special master case um, and uh, her not taking the advice of the uh, person who was appointed, who she appointed as a special master, and then having all her decisions uh, on appeal overturned, at least in the, in the legal field, and again, I'm not a lawyer, is one that clearly demonstrates uh, there's 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 a there's something missing as it relates to her judgment. I'll also say, you know, the Justice Department, you know, in their initial um, press conference said they wanted a speedy trial, right? You want to be able to have this done within, I believe, two or three months of the election, because I believe there's a sort of a, a, a law, unwritten law, that they don't want to make decisions be within three or four months of of an election. Yeah, but, they, but, they puts... don't, but, but here's the thing, Curtis, they, they don't get to decide that. I mean, ultimately, Judge Cannon will establish the pre-trial and trial can uh, calendar. And, 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 if and, that's, attorneys, and you're making my point. That's my point. <laughs> right. And, and if Trump's attorneys can say, hey, we want to push this damn thing until beyond the 2024 election, you know, December of 2024, and they make a compelling enough argument based off of whatever precedent uh, or case law that may or may not exist. I mean, all of this is so unusual. So I don't, I don't even know where you begin with this. Exactly. But let's say they make that case and, and Judge Cannon says, you know what? I agree. There's no way I'm going to move this thing into the middle of a presidential election. How is that even fair? She may agree to that. And that could absolutely benefit the former president. Now, prosecutors may challenge it um, if they can. But from my understanding, there are limitations with how much they could potentially challenge such a thing. And it's my understanding that it, it may not be as as blatant as, you know, the, the defendant, former president asking for that. It could be as simple as them asking for a continuance. It could be asking for um, certain um, uh, acts within the case that delay it for a week, a month, um, a recess. All these requests that if the judge uh, approves them, then it could push it down. So I don't know whether... And I don't I don't foresee it being a straight up and down asking for uh, a date, uh, you know, after the election. It can be just a slow rolling process of a defense attorney asking for certain provisions to the judge again around delays that, in you know, in aggregate um, could delay the case until that window of time prior to the election, which would push it uh, after the election. And then you have um, a constitutional crisis if the president were to be reelected. Yeah. And so uh, again, I'm going back to this article in the New York times here. And it's, it states that if the trial hypothetically were pushed to 
November 2024 election, if Trump becomes president and he just dismisses the case. Um, and I want to read one quote here, and then we're going to take a quick break. Um, Samuel Bell, a white-collar criminal law professor at Duke University and former lead prosecutor on the Enron task force, you guys remember the whole Enron case, said that there could be a lot of misdirections and delays and things that may play well um, to the conservative media space. But he went on to say, but I don't see legally how even a judge inclined to make mischief is going to prevent this case from ultimately going to trial. He continues, though, Curtis, to the very point that we're talking about here. Out of left field rulings could be coming here. Expect them. When you have classified documents, there is an abundance of opportunities to slow this down. And they've got a judge who is willing to go along with slowing this down. Then it becomes very hard to predict when this will go to trial. And, and again, that goes back to my point. Uh, this could indeed benefit the former president. And I think there is a case to make. Should we have this continuance in the midst of a presidential election where the leading candidate is facing federal prosecution while facing the guy who is technically over the Department of Justice? I mean, this is not about liking Trump or disliking him or liking Biden or disliking Biden. Ethically, there's a lot of questions here. Uh, this is the Sure Michael Singleton Show. Again, the phone lines are open, 866-801-8255. We're going to take a quick break. My guest, Curtis Valentine, will be right back after this. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. different places and, and ways you can go with trying to unpack all of this you have a president who is a former president rather who is incredibly popular uh, with the Republican base has some issues uh, with uh, independent swing voters although there is uh, some suggestions based on aggregate polling that his disapprovals have actually decreased over the past couple of months so that's a bit intriguing for me as a political strategist on the other side, you have a president who is 80 years old. Uh, he has approval ratings that are incredibly low, actually historically low for president running for reelection. And technically, if he was running against anyone else, he probably would not win based off of what we know uh, from uh, historic accounts, previous elections, that is. Uh, he has issues with younger voters. You're seeing people of color not very excited. So, so the point that I'm trying to make as I lay this case, Curtis, is that you have two individuals who just aren't really liked by any damn body, <laughs> potentially facing each other again in 2024. I mean, man, is, is this the best we can get in this country, Curtis? Can we not get anything better? <laughs> well, um, both candidates, both both presidents, if you if you really look at those who who voted them in, if you think their approval ratings and what they said they were going to do and what they've done and, and the different subgroups that had the hugest biggest impact on getting them elected, uh, their approval within those groups um, is 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 relatively within those groups uh, where you would expect. I mean, I think as it relates to the president and this particular um, you know case and and, and whether the Americans you know American public sees this as something that's you know, a serious crime. You know, particularly when it comes to Trump, there's a recent poll YouTube did in, in, in May, you know, 63 percent of Americans think that taking highly classified documents from the White House and obstructing them is a serious crime. You know, obviously, it's much higher for Democrats. Uh, but overall, even independents, 62 percent felt this is a serious crime and that, you know, uh, he, if if convicted, should not run 
for president, no matter what his age is. If you want to get into sort of the inner workings of the Democratic Party, Republican Party, about how they select candidates and, you know, fundraising and party bosses and um, pipelines out of local government, state government, into federal government, uh, that's a that's a long, deep conversation. Uh, as someone who's very much involved in local politics here in Maryland, um, and for those who just really uh, have a, a vision for America uh, that uh, – may not be representative of either party, which a lot of a growing number of Americans are, we have to have a deep discussion about um, who's elected to to state and federal office. Uh, but it seems as if uh, these are the two candidates. Um, and uh, it is, as President uh, you know, Biden says, you know, um, don't judge me by the almighty, you know, you have to judge me by the alternative. Um, and so it is going to be a you know, would you rather have Trump or or Biden? And I think it's going to be a close election. No, I, I think so. I think it's going to be a very close election. And I, I think uh, there are two concerns here, and I, I kind of want to look at both sides here. If you're Joe Biden, you're hoping to have similar turnout as you did in 2020. You, you, you have to, because we always hear all the time, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by millions and millions of votes. He beat Donald Trump by millions of popular votes, folks, about five million popular votes to be exact. But when you look at the Electoral College, there was only a handful of states that gave or that gave Joe Biden and Democrats ultimately the edge. Look at Arizona. Former the president won Arizona by ten thousand nine hundred eighty eight votes. Biden, that is. You look at the state of Georgia. He won Georgia by 14,152 votes. He won Wisconsin by 20,546 votes. He won Nevada by 35,453 votes. Now, for most people listening to this show, they're probably like, okay, well, a a win is a win. You're absolutely right. And I'm definitely not taking that away from Joe Biden. But the point that I'm trying to make here as a strategist, when I start to quantify data like this, and I'm looking at those numbers, And the questions that I begin to to ask myself if I'm advising Biden, for example, here, can we maintain this slim victory? Can we stitch together over these four states? I think it's a total of about 81,000 votes. Someone here can check check my math, but I'm I'm almost certain I'm I'm about 81,000, 82,000 votes total with the four states that I just mentioned. Can we get that again with the opposition being Trump, are younger voters happy? We did not give them student loan forgiveness. In fact, the Supreme Court may strip it away completely. They may say this is unconstitutional. What about voters of color? Yeah, many of them despise Trump. But if we see a 6 to 8% decrease, meaning not them voting for Trump but staying home, then we are not able to stitch together this slim Victory. Now, let me go over to the Trump side here, the latest case there. If Trump is the nominee, and you're looking at the same four states that I just mentioned, Donald Trump received the greatest number of votes in all the states, particularly the battleground states, than any other sitting president. And yet that alone was not enough for him to win the battleground states, thus winning enough electoral votes to be reelected. And so your question, if your Trump is... How much of the opposition's votes can we suppress via negative campaign ads, et cetera? And do we have any room in the counties that we have won to further increase turnout? Are there disaffected voters that we need to reach, target, and engage to increase turnout? Because the reality is, just as the former president won in 2016 on the margins, He lost on the margins. And 2024, to Curtis's point about it being very close, will be decided on the margins. I want to know what you think about this Trump indictment. Let us know what you think about 2024. Do you think it's going to be close? Are you worried about any shenanigans? So, Curtis, when you think about everything that I've just unpacked here numerically, because that's I love the data. That's what I used to do as a strategist full time, quantifying the data, trying to your numbers to design a strategy for target engagement and even for policies. What, what's going to ultimately move people with policies a candidate supports versus those they don't support? Those things really, really matter. When you look at these numbers, Curtis, and you realize how close it was as it pertains to the Electoral College, 
I mean, what are your thoughts here, man? Because even well, I mean, all of this, it, all of these issues with the former president, he could indeed still win. It's not saying well, I mean, he won't or will. And you're right. You have to unpack those numbers. And and as much as the the president President Biden had an historical turnout, ironically, President Trump had more voters in 2024 than he had in 2020. He, I believe, had the highest number of, of, of Republican voters in history as well. And so uh, there was clear turnout on on both sides. Um, I'm I'm most curious about the voters in 2020 who voted for Biden that voted for Trump in 2016. And so these sort of Trump to Biden voters, these sort of moderate Republicans switched allegiance and backed Biden and whether they will stick with Biden or go back to Trump in 2024, whether this particular, this case and set of cases, these indictments are going to uh, keep them in the, in the Biden camp or whether they'll go back. The second, you know, you know, Point I just want to keep um, keep an eye on. I think your listeners should too. Is the growing number, particularly of black men, who are voting for Republican and in particular Trump, and whether they can have an impact in places like Georgia, like Pennsylvania, like Ohio, and have the and make the impact in Illinois, in places like that, where you do have um, a growing number of black men um, educated. Um, in some cases, a middle a middle income black men voting Republican, which I think you will probably what anybody can 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 speak to why they're doing it and whether it'll have an impact. But I am curious about those who switched to Biden in 2020 will stick with them or whether they'll go back to Trump in view of everything you have here. I'm also really interested sure. in finding out whether a divided Republican Party, if DeSantis is going to make a big enough stink if he doesn't get the get the uh, get the nomination. Who will be Trump's vice president? Is it is it a Trump Tim Scott election? You know, um, Haley. You know, who are these? Who's going to be the Republican vice presidential? Because if if it is Tim Scott, will you see black men in in these in these states also go um, flip back? Is if it's a moderate vice presidential candidate, which I mean, we all, I know they always say they vote for the top of the ticket, but is that going to give some folks? a sense of, of, of feeling okay with voting for Trump in 2024 when they voted for Biden in 2020. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I'm curious about what you would say about particularly the black men in the Republican Party, but also whether Tim Scott candidacy had the impact on that. Yeah, that, that's a really great question, Curtis. Uh, the, the New York Times and the Washington Post actually both did two incredible pieces. Um, they have some writers, both of those uh, media outlets, newspapers that focus on the actual data of elections. And some of these guys are really freaking good, man. I mean, on point. And I think it was the post that did a piece last year, and I'm going to have to Google this. If I can find it, guys, I'll put it on my, my Twitter, at Michael underscore. Uh, so I'll try to find that today. But, but the article essentially states and talks about and dives deep into, Curtis, this migration of black men to the Republican Party since the Obama era. And you've seen slow, small numbers but numbers that over a period of time could actually benefit the Republican Party. Now, clearly, as a conservative, I would love to see more people of color um, vote conservative. Maybe that will get the GOP to actually change its tune on issues of race, which I think is where the party really has its shortcomings. Um, and I think most people of color would probably agree with, with that statement. It's just the party just doesn't do well on matters of race. 
but if if more people of color were to vote for the party, then maybe, maybe, hell, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a magician here, maybe that would change. But, but with that Post article cited aside, if you look at data that's publicly available, I've seen private data, private surveys, focus group surveys, even from Democratic posters that showcase an interest among many black men to voting Republican with the right message. And principally, when you look at the focus group studies on this, you see resonance with issues of education and economics. Those two things primarily seem to be outsized benefits for the GOP versus Democrats when you do focus groups with black men only. And so I, I am going to be curious, Curtis, if Trump were to choose a Tim Scott, and I know Tim Scott's getting all kind of shit because he's constantly saying, you know, the country is far better than his grandfather, which I agree with. Now, on the issue of systemic racism, Senator has sort of danced around that issue. I think he just needs to address that. The country's not perfect. We still have issues that we need to deal with. Uh, and, and I think the beautiful thing about America, however, is that we have a system in place that permits us to attempt to make things better, however imperfect that thing may be. And so I think the senator needs to acknowledge that. But but to, to answer that ultimate question, Curtis, of whether or not it were a Tim Scott with Trump, would that have any type of significant bearing? I don't know how significant, but I do think with the right message, with the right targeting and engagement, you could see that, what, 10% of black men that Trump received in 2020 increase to maybe 12 to 14 percent and if that were to happen again go back to the four states that i just stated and look how close those margins were boy it could really really make a difference um james i don't think we'll see mark hey let's let's curtis let's go to james out of pennsylvania he wants to chime in on uh, more black men moving into the GOP. um james you're on the show with sure michael and curtis thanks for calling in let's hear your thoughts man thank you michael um i don't agree with that um, I think the Republicans do enough damage to themselves, um, and they have nothing to offer. I mean, mm -hmm. mostly when you, I think mostly when you see African men talking about um, coming to the Republican Party, it's, it is for um, more chances and better chances um, from a financial standpoint. But mm -hmm. every time, every time you look around. The Republican Party does something that's anti-minority, and they speak to things that's anti-minority. So it makes you double think. Like, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. James, James, well, James, can I ask you this question? I'm always, I'm always curious about this because I actually don't disagree with anything you're saying. And, and as I was saying, I think that that really is sort of the Achilles heel for the party. Do you think, and this is a big hypothetical here, James, I have no clue if this would ever happen, but you know where I lean politically. But do you think if the party were to ever get right on some of these issues that you laid out, do you think we see a real difference then in terms of minority support? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this, just as a voter. Yeah, I think I think you would see a difference. I mean, when, when, when you come, when it comes to the point of um, bringing money to into the community where there is more opportunity, where I think the, Demo the Democrats have um, fell short at. You know, there's a there's a large there's a large gap, especially with um, younger African Americans. I can tell you, during the um, Trump era, and I'm from Philly. I'm from North Philly, so even in our neighborhood, there was a, a small group of um, younger black males who said, why not give them a chance? Why not create a committee to go off and look towards the Republican Party? And a pushback was, what What do you think the Republican Party is going to do more that's being done now? Because it's an issue of trust. So if, if they actually go off and do things that um, really will... Um, Help, help in as far as bringing those opportunity and and listening. You know, you had the will for a long time. You're going to have to share in either driving a boat or with you know helping with the navigation. 
But if they don't bring, which doesn't seem like they want to, if they don't bring us in in that manner in which we mm-hmm. can be equal partners, it's always going to be hard. Yeah, no, James, brother, let me tell you something. I know it's going to be hard, and, and I've been preaching uh, exactly what you're saying for a very, very long time. And, and some people get it, James. I, I will say some do. But I got to tell you, man, there are a whole lot who don't, and there are a lot who have said, you know, what if we take this risk, and what if we put all this money into this engagement, and we don't see uh, any net benefit? Is it really worth it? Losing some folks in our base because we're trying to grab this new base and it doesn't pay off. What, what would you say to people, James, who are sort of Republican leaders who are saying, you know, I hear James and he's right, but I don't know if we should take that risk losing voters that we already have, voters that we may not get. What, what would you say to those people if they were listening to you right now as a voter? Mm-hmm. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. There you go. There yeah, you go. Thanks, hey, Michael. Nothing gained. Yeah, Curtis, jump on in. Jump in. No, I would say, you know, it's it's clear that, you know, when it comes to the issues that impact the African-American community, education, criminal justice, um, you know, job creation, we often give the benefit of that out to other parties um, and we don't get the same benefit on the Democratic Party. And so, again, I'm, I mentioned I'm, I'm in Maryland. Um, and if you think about just the outgoing governor, um, Governor Larry Hogan. When he left office, um, it, even being a Republican in a heavy Democratic state like Maryland, he had an 81% approval rating by African-Americans in Maryland. Wow. Actually higher higher than white voters. You know, I'm in Prince George's County. His approval rating in Prince George's County, Maryland, predominantly black community, um, was probably somewhere in that range as well. Now, uh, whether he was he did not win this county, he wasn't voted in. But once he got into office um, and the, the policies he passed and how he engaged with the community, some of his appointments, um, African-Americans often give, you know, Republican um, officials the benefit of of the doubt. And so when it comes to, again, this particular politics of, of the president, of, of President Trump or, and President Biden and African-American men voting um uh, I mean, you do tell me some would say voting with their wallet. Some would say voting with their degrees. You know, if you look at issues around education, particularly around charter schools and school choice, you know, while, while the Democratic Party may not be overly, overly supporting of it, even though charter schools were created within Democratic states like Minnesota and California, black parents support school choice at a very high level um, and tend to support candidates who do so. And so this is something I think that if you look issue by issue, um, mm-hmm. that you have to be very clear that there are some um, synergies between um, African-Americans and the issues of conservatives within the party. But we often you know, sort of depart from the hypocrisy and, and sort of other things that people like President Trump bring to the table that just we just can't get past. Yeah, and so I, yeah. I think if there this this is going to be a deep discussion. If you look at sort of what the polls are saying around Republicans and, and the president and his actions and his indictments, a good number over over 40 percent are just going to stick with him no matter what. But yeah. I think there is there is there's some space to say um Will you depart? Will you stay with Biden, even though you voted for Trump in 2016? Will you leave? This is a lot to unpack, and I think we'll we'll learn more as the days and weeks come. Yeah, I think you're right. Hey, James, uh, before I let you go, you have any final thoughts? Yeah, Michael, I've been following you for so many years. years. You was with Armstrong, and I'm very proud of you and what you know what you are doing. And anytime I see your name, I tune in. Hey, man, I want to tell you, I really, really do appreciate that. And and thanks for calling in as objective as you absolutely were, because you certainly could have came in with a different um, attitude. But I will say this, James, and I'm going to take a quick break after James, guys. Uh, But, man, I I think you're right, James. I I think if they could just get right on on the issues that you laid out, man – we would really have the type of politics that I think we deserve, which which is a political system that allows us to engage with both parties uh, based on our overall interests. And, 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 and I wish and God knows, I hope we can at some point 
uh, get to that place. Leon out of Illinois, I see you, my friend. I'm going to get to you after this quick break. Uh, this is the Sure Michael Singleton Show. My guest, Curtis Valentine, Matt, bringing us in and out of the show. Ardra answering your phone calls. I appreciate them for making this show possible today. We'll be right back after this quick break. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Uh, My guest for today, Curtis Valentine, my good Morehouse brother, who is no stranger to the show. You've heard Curtis on the show for, I don't know, Curtis, um, uh, quite some time. (laughs) And now um, he is with the Progressive Policy Institute and the University of Maryland. What should the Republican Party do? Actually, what does the Republican Party need to do to earn your vote? Now, I'm not talking about in the next... (laughs) 15 months, because God knows, I don't think it's going to happen. But over time, what would you all like to see to say, you know what? Now, if they do this, then I actually would consider voting for a Republican. 866-801-8255. Let's go to Leon in Illinois. Leon, you're on with Curtis and Shermichael. Thanks so much for holding and thanks for calling into the show. Hey, what's up, Curtis? What's up, Shermichael? Hey, man. Um, Hey, well, my where I was going is probably addressing your question that you asked. I was going to say oh, go that the Republican it. Party can get Democrat, uh, I'm sorry, uh, black people the same way the Democrats got black people in the 60s when you, when they changed their message, when they started fighting for our voting rights, when they started fighting for um, civil rights, things like that. Um, so the, the things that they can do to get our vote is first they got to get out of bed with these white supremacists that's voting for Trump and supporting them. Um, they got to stop elevating uh, the black Republicans that are just grifters, and they need to get back to the respectable Republicans like you, like Michael Steele, like those types of guys, and, and promote that message of um, prosperity. I think that will uh, resonate with a lot of us. You can't promote prosperity in one sense and then promote, then deny um racism and um, white supremacy and, and and institutional racism in another. It just doesn't work for us. We're not buying it. Leon, I thank you so much, man, for calling into the show and listening. And thanks for your comments. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you raise points that I hear even in my own family all the time. It's like, hey, you know, if they can just get rid of some of this shit, focus on ed- education, economics, uh, focus on opportunities, acknowledge, you know, the things that are still troubling our country and and also, you know, articulate a path to to help continue to get over some of those things. Then there are some things that that are worth listening to. But but that big hurdle, Leon, to everything you just said, man. And again, like I I even hear this with my own parents. We talk about it all the time. If they can just get their shit together on issues of race, there is something to listen to. But if they can't fix that, then I'm not even interested in any other policy issues. So, Leon, thanks so much for calling in, man. I appreciate it. Hey, hey, Michael. I mean, he he brought up a great point. Um, brothers like you, uh, like Michael Steele, like the late Colin Powell, you know, finding, you know, brothers like you often just don't, you know, struggle to find space in, in the party. While some of the issues you support, national security, um, you know, small government, maybe school choice, maybe, um, you know, other issues around, you know, moderate gun control. Um, those are questions that the party has to reckon with. But also, I think for a lot of particular folks on the on the fences, the hypocrisy of saying you care about, you know, um, uh, you know, parents, you know, pro-life this. And um, again, all the things that we hear, but mm-hmm. we're not seeing after the fact, um, all the politics of, and, and the social issues that mm-hmm. I think a lot of moderate Dems who 
again, are probably going from, you know, election, election, giving, giving candidates the benefit of the doubt, looking at the issues. I would also say, something again, you're, 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 you know, you're a political advisor in a lot of ways, how parties put referendums to really indicate particular what they stand for on ballots to bring Uh people to, to the polling place. And this is a thing both parties should really look at. And this is actually the time when legislatures need to do that is sort of what are you putting on the ballot for next year around, again, issues that are specific to communities that are going to draw people to the election. And if if Republicans wanted to bring, you know, if there are some states that have, um, again, specific policies that, you know, African-American parents, families, men support and they put them on a ballot and the African-Americans know that the Republicans put on the ballot, I think you would you'd be surprised what the response would be. No, I, I think it's a fair point on the Republican Party. What would it take for the party uh, to change what changes are necessary for them to get your vote. Um, I would also like to know, you know generally speaking, uh, what do you guys think about both political parties, Democrats and Republicans? I understand why most black people vote uh, for Democrats, but I would just love to hear some of your thoughts uh, either way. Let's go to Sabrina in Atlanta. Sabrina, thanks for listening to the show and calling in. You're on with Shermichael and Curtis. Okay. Yep. Great. Turn my, turn my radio down. Um, I... I was calling because I voted for, um, I used to vote Republican. My first president was um, uh, Reagan, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And I'm an AUC graduate. I went to Clark College. And I just, All right, got AUC. Really fed up. <laughs> I just got really fed up with the hypocrisy and the, the divisiveness and some of the, the um, gaslighting of diverse people until I just stopped. I, I, I voted for the Bushes. I was, like I said, a George Bush point of light. And um, it just got to be too much for me Mm -hmm. to vote and even, you know, having to explain to family members why I'm still sticking with a party who doesn't want to stick with me. And that's why I didn't go. Now, I'm not a big fan of the Democrats either. Um, um, And so I'm just in this quandary or where do I go? Um, And Trump is just not an issue, not not an option. Non-starter, huh? Yeah, (laughs) I get it, Sabrina. Trust me, I I get it. And I think, Sabrina, I got to tell you something. I think there are a lot of people within our community and and Americans of perhaps every uh, ethnicity that are just sort of looking at the current state of politics and are just asking themselves, is this really as good as it gets like, I mean, you got, you can't tell me we can't do better than this, not not only with the two individuals that are likely going to be the top of the parties, but just the issues that parties care about and the concerns that the parties sort of advocate for. Uh, can we see better? And, and one side may, for some, uh, do better on uh, those issues than the other. Um, but but that also means then the other needs to improve itself on those particular issues so that voters, particularly in our community, have an opportunity to judge both parties equally and say, well, let's look at all the issues now. And now we can kind of say which party may be better for us on this issue versus the other. Uh, But I think to the point that you've made as it pertains to matters of race, that is just a non-starter for most people in our community. And and it's obviously, Sabrina, as as you know, you've been voting Republican since Reagan. It's an issue that the party has really, really struggled with. And even when, uh, Sabrina, the party has had individuals that have tried to articulate a message of being more open and more inviting and more welcoming and even, you know, sort of crafting positions that may specifically target uh, the black community. Some of those individuals have faced a lot of condemnation or roadblocks within the party. And and, and it's, it's difficult, but I do say this and Michael Steele and I have talked about this all the time. And he said, you know, at some point the demographics are going to change in such a way in this country where the party is just not going to have a choice. Now, he said, now, I may be dead and gone by the time that actually happens. He said, but mathematically, the numbers are what the numbers are. Sabrina, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. Um, Hey, let's go to Rodney in North Carolina. Rodney, you're on the Shermichael Singleton Show with Curtis Valentine. Thanks so much for calling in. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, I I just want to comment on uh, why black males, I don't think black males should, should go to the Republican Party based on things like what DeSantis is doing, pulling mm-hmm. black books off the shelves uh, for children to learn about their own history, what Republican le- legislators are doing all over the, the country, trying to make it harder for blacks to vote, gerrymandering, and so on. 
So I, I just I, I I and and one of one of the issues that I have is I try mm-hmm. to be a critical thinker to the point that I what what labels do to people is put them in a box and after a time they start becoming that party versus critical thinking on their own. So I mm-hmm. I, I think I think we're missing the people people thinking critically about issues and policies versus party issues. Uh, and uh, and I have a question for you is Yeah, go ahead, Rodney. Based on um, Trump and what he's done thus far, would would you be willing to vote for him? No, no, I, I wouldn't. Okay. Um, I, I just, I mean, I didn't vote for him when he faced Biden. I just thought it was a bit much. Um, I agree with a lot of his economics. I'm not going to lie to you, Rodney. A lot of the economics certainly benefit me, particularly where I'm at now and where I see myself going. Uh, but I, I just think, man, I don't want him or Biden. I, I just think the country needs someone who's younger, who's fresher with new ideas. I just want to go in a new direction. I, I think there are a lot of things that, in, that are in our country that, that we're trying to figure out. And I think we need someone who is on the forefront of, of, of where the country is moving socially and culturally to be able to help guide us in figuring those things out. And I don't think two people who are close, who are 80 or 76, are the best arbiters of helping sort of bridge the divide and help guide us through this really, really complex place that we find ourselves in today. Uh, but Rodney, I, I'm going to get to one more person because I got two minutes left, but I appreciate you for calling. Uh, real quick, let's go to Tony in Texas. Tony, I got two minutes, man, so please try to be quick. Thanks for calling in. Oh, yes. yes. Well, you know, my main concern is this, that uh, that the Republican Party hasn't passed any legislative act in the past hundred years that would really accommodate uh, for African-Americans. They just don't do that. When you look at, mm-hmm. at the, the Voting Rights Act, the police reform, child care credit, those are tangible things that African-Americans uh, need. And the Republican Party, with all the gerrymandering, there's no way that you could convince me of how can, uh, that, that, that that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, you know, and they talk about economics, but economics only relates to people making a million dollars more. And I have some friends that say, oh, they made more on the Bush, uh, I mean, on, on Trump, but that's not true. Because they didn't have any change in the checks. In fact, we made less money. Tony, I got to go, man. I got one minute left. I actually wanted to hear what else you had to say. So please forgive me for getting to you towards the end of the show. This has been an amazing conversation talking about the former president being indicted. Uh, This is the Sure Michael Singleton Show. My guest, Curtis Valentine, Matt, bringing us in and out of the show. Ardra answering your phone calls. I appreciate them for making this show possible today. 